your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Tuesday. Is it only Tuesday of Lacrosse Talk PM? A little bit of a snowy Tuesday, but we're not at alternate side parking just yet. It needs to snow three inches, and I called the National Weather Service right before the show and talked to uh, his last name was Scow. I think Andrew Scow. have it. Give me a second here, Adam. Uh, Lacrosse National Weather Service. Kevin Scow. I talked to Kevin Scow at the National Weather Service up on the hill. He said we're not going to hit three inches, so no alternate side parking. So there's that. How is the alternate side parking in Milwaukee, Adam? I think it kicks that? in in December. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and depending on where you live, I'm not in the city of Milwaukee, so I don't have to deal with it. Uh, but uh, like when I was in my 20s and I, I lived in Milwaukee, oh, huge, huge pain in the butt. Uh, yeah, probably a little bit uh, different than lacrosse. Like everything, like traffic in lacrosse is going to be different than in Milwaukee. Uh, right. You have the ability to move your car in lacrosse to the other side of the street. When we did alternate side parking, we do it now. It used to be November 15th it kicked in, and sometime in spring it would be done. But now we've gone, hey, it doesn't snow really all that much until, you know, right around Christmas now, and for whatever yep. reason. Um, but to, but uh, <laughs> today, was, today was our first snow, and, and we got like a two-inch band on my house. Yeah. And uh, I, I pulled, we've talked about my, my Ford Mach-E. I won't call it a Mustang because I know <laughs> that upsets you, but. I've I've got my all-wheel drive battery powered, and I pulled it out in the parking lot and just spun around all over the damn place. And oh, really? So I called and went and, yeah, it was terrible. Went and, and had my winter tires put on. Hopefully that'll help because, <laughs> you know, last week it was, what, 74 degrees, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't want my, my winter tires on, but I needed them today. Yeah, we went from AC to heat. I mean, we do that every year. We get used to it. Uh, we're speaking with Adam Murphy. He's our political blowhard. He's the uh, owner yeah. of a small business called Big Bang LLC computer geek stuff. Uh, he also has uh, degrees in economics and political science, which I appreciate because I I think you've convinced me if people are going to, and oh yeah, and he's a failed Senate candidate for the Democrats in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Now you can, <laughs> you can use that as I rip on you for being the failed Senate candidate. Go see if they would have, if you Democrats would have nominated me, I could have taken down Ron Johnson, not Mandela Barnes. I, I would have won by 5%. Five percent. Right. Yeah. OK, so can we. OK. And when I say when I just want to bring it up again, you're working on your master's in economics. I think you're going to UW Milwaukee, right? Yep. Uh, And and you you've said this before, and this is what got me attention is when we first talked to you back way back when you were running Um, the, the obviously people, politicians need to know how politics work. They need some civics. So that's where your political science stuff comes in but then it's also like that's savvy too because you can kind of understand um as i talk to a bunch of political scientists on my show how that works and you know whether you're you're doing philosophy i talk to a political science philosopher and then i talk to a political scientist uh by the numbers um so it helps you understand and maybe even manipulate you know the the vote somehow in terms of your messaging but also economics is one of the things that's that's kind of the only thing that politicians need to be masters of right is economics and how to make everything work with everybody in in my opinion i mean every political decision every policy that gets made is going to affect people in some economic format some some way right even even the abortion topic right there has been 
economic analysis done associated with the impact of abortion laws. Every policy, doesn't matter if it's at the state level or at the federal level, even local level, right? I think you had talked to me about um, uh, you know, assessments for, for home values. Every decision that a politician makes ultimately comes down to being an economic decision. And I, as much as I would love economics to be a pure science, right, a chemistry or physics, the truth of the matter is, is that economics is psychology, right? So we're also dealing with people's perceptions and their emotions and their beliefs and their philosophies. And so I think you really need the two in order to be effective because we, we talked about one of the things you said uh, last time I was on, and I thought this was really important, and my econ professors will, t- will say the same thing. When, when, when a policy is made that's good for us, right, society overall, however you define that, it is almost always going to hurt some people, whether we look at uh, importing and exporting, right, NAFTA and, and stuff like that. NAFTA overall was beneficial for the country. It was good for the economy. It was good for jobs. It actually created jobs. But were some jobs lost because of it? Absolutely. And politicians and economists don't like to talk about the bad things that happen. And there's always a trade-off. And so what we need to understand, and what I'm really trying to focus on with, with everything I'm doing is, and, and that I try to explain, is, okay, is there more good than problems? And where there are problems caused, how do we address it? And, and I, quite frankly, I think politicians do a terrible job of that. So it's, it's the two, and I think it's super, super important to do. Do they do a terrible job of it, or do they do a terrible job of trying to get that message out? Or is it, I mean, it's got to be a little both. It's both. It's both. I mean, uh, clearly some literally just don't get it. Um, and, uh, you know, or their personal, their philosophy takes, takes over. Um, libertarians uh, are, fall into this category, in my opinion, where their philosophical belief in laissez-faire capitalism, in our individual rights, in no government, right? That, that philosophy, that belief, takes precedent over the math. I prefer to take the math. Um, and then let's look at, uh, at the philosophy. But do some people deliberately choose to ignore it? Sure, we saw that all during this election, right? Um, you know, the, the number of, of lies and mistruths and, and misperceptions and, and deliberate obfuscations. Pardon me for using $5 words. I'm not <laughs> supposed to do that. Um, I, I used to get yelled at by my social media guys for that. But, um, yeah, it's very easy and, and to... It's very easy to manipulate people who believe what you want them to believe, is what it comes down to. And so I try to just present the data and say, here's how it works. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you got questions. Adam can give you maybe an answer. We'll see. Maybe the answer, or he'll just, try. Or he'll just talk his way out of it, because he is kind of a politician. Um, <laughs> so 608-785-7914. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back. Obviously, you ran for Senate, so I want to get your take on the Mandela Barnes-Ron Johnson race that Ron Johnson won by, I think, what, 1%, right? Something like that? Yep, yep. Cool. Oh. Sounds good. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line if you want to get in here. Adam Murphy is our political blowhard. That's what I like to call him. He's a small business owner. He's a... I'll just call you. I, I don't know. At what point can you call yourself maybe an econ or a political science expert? Because I don't think you're there yet. Uh, boy. But you might uh, be an econ. You might be an economy or economics expert based on your experience of owning a small business, right? 
I certainly like to think of myself as adept at small business, right? And I work with a bunch of small business owners. We have, I, I, we have personally funded small businesses and, and friends that were interested in starting things. So I think I'm pretty adept over on that side. Uh, and, you know, in the, the grand scheme of economics, I literally hang out five days a week with professors of economics, and I ask them a ton of questions. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with I'm, I'm – I'm smarter than your average bear. When do it they comes to economics? How's do they that? roll your eyes? Do, do they roll their eyes every once in a while? Like, oh, great, Adam's got another question. Uh, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> I, I try not to be that guy if I can if I can avoid it. But you know, I'm the old guy in class. I'm in one economics class. We're looking at uh, the impact of policy, which is super important, right? This is this is literally a class that every politician should be in, and we're studying patents and innovation and technology and all the things that help grow our economy. Well, I'm the 51-year-old who's owned a business for 18 years, and I own a patent. I have a patent. <laughs> so we're talking about this, and I've got a bunch of 21, 22, 23-year-old kids, including a bunch from Germany, which is super fun, because uh, they're you know learning about the United States and sports and everything else. Well, apparently they uh, love the song West Virginia, Take Me Home, whatever that song's na- title is, because they were all <laughs> singing it at the Buccaneers game the other day, which I thought oh, was awesome. No. West Virginia, Mountain Mama, the, all of Germany <laughs> at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game over there. Uh, what, nine That's in the morning hysterical. for yeah, it was great. You, you have to go look it up on Twitter. It's it's amazing. Oh my God, I hadn't heard that. That's awesome. <laughs> so, but you know, it's it's I, so I do. I try not to be that guy in class, but I also bring a very different level of experience. Uh, and you know, it, quite frankly, in many cases, I'm older than my professors too. So, sounds like know. I need to have your professor on to talk about the uh, economics of. I've I've suggested <laughs> that actually. Yeah. Um, the chair of my political science department. Uh, uh, I I got on one of the um, one of the local radio shows with Kristen Bry, who's who's started up her own um, on some of the the local radio here in the area. Because, yeah, I, I love having I love having access to these people, but for them to be able to to get on the radio and talk with with listeners and and answer questions is so much more impactful than than what I can do, in my opinion. Um, you know, there's, there's a, for a lot of people, there's a level of respect that goes along with, you know, having that PhD, being the chair of a political science department. Um, so absolutely. But I, I, oftentimes I finish up these and then I write a bunch of notes and I wind up going back to my professors and saying, okay, how do I answer this? How do I explain it? Because I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And I, I think, I think a couple of people at UW Milwaukee were in a, it was on WIS politics. It was a, a little forum that they had online. Uh, I have it saved. I haven't watched it yet. But we're going to go to the phones here. I don't know if I've ever introduced you to Eric from Sparta, but Eric from Sparta is on. You get, Eric, do you have a question for Adam? Yes, I do. I have a wondering. Uh, most political science professors are the liberal kind. And I'm asking you one question. What happens when the ARPA funds run out and they are left stranded and don't know what to do? My money, ARPA funds are my money. What are they going to do then? Can you tell me that, sir? Thank you. I think there was two different thoughts there. Uh, most political science professors are liberal. Okay, there's that, but also, sure. um, I don't know. Do you want to take that? <laughs> sure. Um, the honest truth is, is that okay. This is going to sound terrible, and, and Eric from Sparta, I apologize for this. Generally speaking, and this is not 100 percent, but generally speaking, the more educated somebody is, the more liberal they tend to be, um, and that comes with research and and in particular in political science and economics as well our whole goal is to to try to understand what's going on to create a model or look at data and and uh, 
understand what's actually happening, not to look at it philosophically. And so when it comes to economics, for example, and, and you can make the argument in political science, the more educated you are, the more you learn, the more opportunities you have to experience different things. Generally speaking, that tends to lean to a more liberal lifestyle, a uh, more liberal philosophy. Um, and and that's, that's really just the math of it, is that you know, when all the data that we look at, generally speaking, more educated equals more liberal. Um, you can make the argument that more liberal also could could be interested in more education. But and I couldn't quite hear the second well, part of the question. I think I think I know where Eric's coming from with the second part of the, the question. We have American Rescue Plan Act funding, and from what okay. I understand, is uh, there needs to be a plan to use this. I think the city of La Crosse has some twenty-one, twenty-two million dollars, and the county, La Crosse County, has twenty-one, twenty-two million dollars to spend. They have to have a plan by 2024, and they have to have it spent by 2026, or I, I essentially, I'm guessing they lose it. And both the county and the city have a plan. One of the plans, uh, the city council yesterday uh, had a budget meeting, and I think they, they plan to use some ARPA funding to balance the budget because there's a big hole in the budget for whatever reason. Um, that's where I don't understand some of this stuff. We'd have to just have the mayor on to kind of explain why there's a hole in the budget. And maybe people listen to that and don't understand it either. Um, so I think there's a $4.3 million difference in the budget. It's a story we have, uh, we're reading over the news. Also, the county has decided to possibly use $100,000 to drill uh, a deep well on French Island, which has a PFAS problem. So they want to go under the PFAS uh, to yeah. drill a well. So they're going to use American Rescue Plan Act funding for that as well. But what happens if we didn't have Joe Biden sign off on American Rescue Plan Act funding and therefore the money, if Eric's worried that the money will dry up, but I would just say that, the, the, the I don't know, I'll let you you go ahead. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm not familiar with lacrosse's local politics, so I, I apologize there. But when we look at the, the rescue plan stuff, where it's it's got to be used by a certain time frame. Um, the the point of it and it was was to stimulate the economy, but also to offset what was lost in 2020. Right, uh, right, because we had a, obviously a massive downturn in the economy. But that didn't, you know, when that happened, it's not like all of a sudden uh, there was less pollution. No, there was still the same amount of pollution. Uh, you know, everything that was happening, everything that still needed to be fixed, whether we're talking roads or we're talking infrastructure or, uh, you know, whatever opportunities associated that, that government is ultimately responsible for, still needed to be done, except that, generally speaking, we were looking at revenue on the decline. Now, what was interesting is, like here in the state of Wisconsin, revenue for the state level actually didn't decline in 2020. It was, it was originally forecast to, so I ran for state senate in 2020, and one of the questions that we got from, it was Wisconsin I, we were doing interviews, so all the candidates got this question, and it was, there's a $2 billion, $2.2 billion shortfall forecast in the budget, what would you do? Um, and of course, uh, you know, that could be, do we uh, increase taxes, uh, which was one of the, the things that Governor Evers had proposed, do we cut services? Okay, if we're going to cut services, what services do we cut? Um, and, and the third way, of course, is how do we grow revenue? How do we grow business and, and uh, uh, you know, people's wages and stuff, which, all, which then grows the tax base? So those are the three, the three options. You either cut spending, you increase taxes, or you grow the economy so that you get more money. Well, we wound up not having that $2 billion shortfall. Like I said, 2020, surprisingly, did not have a dip. 
in, in Wisconsin state revenue. So a lot of this was forecast, and then the economy bounced back so quickly um, that we actually didn't necessarily need it. But now we're two years down the road. All of this stuff was put into place to, to help that. So the honest truth is, is that right now, um, when we look at Wisconsin's revenue, uh, we're talking about there's a $6 billion revenue surplus. And everybody should understand that's for two years. And that's also forecast, right? But some of that's, some of that's right now, uh, and Wisconsin has a two-year budget surplus, or but, excuse me, budget cycle. We didn't increase taxes, right? It's, as a matter of fact, uh, Evers and the GOP, the Wisconsin uh, GOP, the legislature, actually uh, decreased income taxes for the middle bracket. Um, that's from like $27,000 to $265,000 for personal income. But what was really interesting middle, is middle that, bracket, middle bracket, a $200,000, $225,000 difference. Right, I, I know, it's ridiculous. But Wisconsin, I think, only has like three brackets. Right? Yeah, right. It's, yeah. Not like the, it's not like federal income taxes where it's, you know, there, there's a dozen. Um, so there's, there's a, a smaller gap in there. And, and arguably, Wisconsin's income tax has become more regressive or less progressive over the, the last several, uh, uh, the last decade or so. But anyway. So anyway, so we have the $6 billion surplus. That wasn't forecast. Again, we were looking at a $2 billion shortfall just a couple of years ago. So that tells you just how massive the increase has been in, in the economy. And most of it has actually been in corporate profits. Um, I, I sent some of this over, but I was looking at it. So in 2019, when, when Governor Evers took over, so he was elected late 2018, well, we got, started we, 2019. We got about a, a minute here before we go to break, okay. so I feel like you're All going right, you're going to go into Let me one. hit this quick. Oh, okay. Yeah, go. $1.34 billion was corporate tax revenue in 2019. That's jumped up to $3 billion, so it's gone up over 200%, 121% increase, but it's gone up over 200% under Governor Evers, without increasing the tax rate. That's all corporate profit. Corporate profit in Wisconsin has gone gangbusters, and nobody expected that to be the case. All right, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. I'll let you I'll let you ponder this one. This is a tough one over the break. Kevin texted in. He okay. said, what exactly is the definition of liberal, and how has that definition changed over the years? So <laughs> I don't know. The definition right. has changed, but maybe the talking points have changed around it when we when we use that as a as a talking point on on different news outlets. All right. We'll be back. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608-785-7914. It's a good day to call if you want to ask Adam Murphy a question. He's a small business owner. He ran for state Senate or U.S. Senate here in Wisconsin against the other Democrats uh, he's he's got an economics and political science degree, uh, which is two things he says maybe all politicians should be required to have. Maybe not required, but, but a good idea to have if you're going to run for office. And uh, he's my political blowhard. I don't know if you're are you are you getting out there enough, Adam, where you you can can you call yourself political blowhard uh, across the state? Are you getting on other? You you talked about being on a different station earlier. I've I've been on a couple. Um, I had uh, and we're we're starting up. I'm going to kick up a podcast. We were going to do it before the elections, and it was just kind of chaotic. And 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 I had a bunch of stuff going on. Um, so actually, in January, I'm going to start up a weekly podcast um, talking about uh, liberal capitalism, which is a term that confuses people. <laughs> <laughs> 
As opposed to like democratic socialists or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, that's just a stupid term. Yeah. That's just, don't, don't even put that in there. That just opens you up for, for being attacked. That's just dumb. Right. And then, uh, well, and then you talk about like Kevin did text in. I, I mentioned it right before the break. And I have another I have another texter texting as well. Uh, what exactly is the definition of liberal and how is the definition change over the years? I don't think the definition really changes. The definition is the definition. But uh, how it's used to either, you know, you said to me you know, over the break, either make yourself look good because you're a liberal if you're, you know, of that mindset or make yourself look bad if you're a liberal. If you're, you know, if you're watching MSNBC, liberals are great. If you're watching Fox News, liberals are, are the, the end of the world. Right, right. And, and that's just it, right? Socialism has been used the same way. If you listen to Scott Walker, all he does is complain about, you know, yell, yell at us for being socialist. And it's like, listen, this, is, this has been the argument for 100 years, and it's a, it's a terrible argument because it's not based on reality. Um, same thing with, with liberal. Listen, uh, it, here's my definition of liberal is let's uh, have a better life for everybody. And that's feasible and possible, especially if we understand economics. Unbelievable. You stupid liberals, I tell you. I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, and then Dan texted in and this one's just, uh, anyway, I'll just read it. Uh, let your guests know just, uh, just having more education does not mean you are smarter. Look no further than AOC. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I guess he's talking about the U S house member. Uh, I've met many people who have degrees, but lack common sense and that, and that what liberals, and that's what liberals lack is common sense, apparently. And then he, I don't, it doesn't sound like Dan, it doesn't sound like you met AOC, though. So I guess uh, you're just lumping in somebody he doesn't like that's in Congress. Right. Well, and, and you'll notice I never said that uh, being more educated makes you smarter. Right. That's not what I said. I said being more educated tends, and not always, tends to make you more liberal, it makes, tends to make you more open minded. Um, it tends to make you more curious, and curiosity is probably one of the biggest terms that goes along with that when, when we get into those um, psychological criteria associated with liberalism versus, versus uh, conservatism, is a curiosity. Um, and it's, it's super fun to study, and I absolutely love studying it. But no, I never said it makes you smarter. Generally speaking, it should, or hopefully you become so. Um, but no. And as far as common sense, common sense is neither common nor sensical. And uh, AOC has her degree in economics and understands it better than most people in Congress, quite frankly. <laughs> All right. So you, we're, we're, if I don't get to this, I'm going to forget. Uh, you obviously okay. ran for Senate. You ran against uh, like at, at one point, I think it was 12 or 13 other Democrats. And then it, we whittled it yep. down to Mandela Barnes and Mandela Barnes. You know, at the end of the day, you go, well, that was a disappointment. We had 13 other people that could have ran and baby beaten Ron Johnson in terms of Democrats. Um, but he only lost by 1%. So let, let's just do this. What's, what's your just overall take of that race? And um, were you surprised he only lost by 1% or were you surprised he lost at all? No, I, I said the entire time uh, that, uh, like many of the other state races, that this one would probably be 1% to 4%. Um, 1% didn't surprise me. I was not tremendously surprised that he lost. Um, I mean, he was, he was ahead early after the Roe v. Wade uh, overturning. Uh, and I, I hoped that that was going to to stick. Uh, unfortunately, obviously it didn't. Um, I think when we look at, and I haven't pulled up all the numbers, but when we look at the two big statewide races, right, for governor and for, for U.S. Senate, uh, I believe that the numbers, the, and I apologize, again, I haven't verified all this, but I believe that the numbers is that there were about 40,000 fewer people that voted uh, in the U.S. Senate election than voted in 
the the gubernatorial race, and many of those for, were from Milwaukee, uh, which means that, uh, in part, uh, part of the black community uh, here in Milwaukee did not necessarily come out for Mandela Barnes. Yeah, that's um, weird. That's and, weird to get a ballot and to because I'll be honest, I got to I got my ballot. And I knew the races. So first of all, the other side of the ballot was all judges and stuff, and nobody ran opposed. They were all unopposed. Right. There was probably twenty of them on there, and it made me really itchy and cringe a little bit. That like, who are these people? And they're all running unopposed, and I didn't know anything yep. about it. And that was and, it, and there's nothing I could do about it. What am I going to write in Mickey Mouse? Like we'd have to have everyone do that. <laughs> um, on the flip side, there was a, a a school board race, and I tried to find information on that. Uh, but I couldn't, so I, I refused to vote. Again, I refused to vote in the most important thing on my ballot, the school board race. And, and that's where the GOP is really focusing, too, is school board and local races. The Democrats are way behind on that. Um, but in, in, the, you know, in, the, in the Barnes race, I, I will be honest, I think that racism played at least some small part, and I'm not saying all, but I, I certainly, it, it would be hard to argue otherwise, given that it was literally the governor and the lieutenant governor that we're running together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or that, you know, so, so there's no, not a significant difference in policy. Um, I think, I, I think one of the unfortunate, I, I read something and, and it caught my attention is that the Democrats were really polite with each other in, in the primaries. Yep. And, and I had, I had, I had voters say to me, we don't want the Democrats beating each other up. And, and I understand that. And I don't necessarily agree. And one of the arguments against it is, is that it put Mandela Barnes in a position when, when he made it through that he had never been challenged. And I think one of the challenges, uh, so I would say, I would say that if you go through a primary and go attack a little bit, at least a little bit, like, Hey, right. uh, Mandela Barnes, it's a practice. It's some practice. Like, why would you go into the, the championship game without ever having right. a practice? Like, so at least if Adam Murphy wants to say, you know, I'll just use something, uh, Mandela Barnes loves criminals and he wants to release them all out of jail. You know, like I don't. Right. That would be a weird thing for you to say, but like uh, maybe something to that. To that, I don't know. Like are you, but you would have to find a difference. Is there a policy where Mandela Barnes was one way and you were another? I think um, probably not necessarily deep into policy. Um, you know, generally speaking, we're we're on the the democratic stage together in in fairly common beliefs. Philosophically. My my belief is that we need to talk with people and we need to talk with conservatives. It's why I like being on your show. It's why I like being on other conservative talk shows. It's why I go into social media and I talk with, uh, you know, with, with Republicans and conservatives. And most politicians don't do that on either side, right? When, when you looked at all of the ads that came out, you talked about, you know, Mandela Barnes wants to release all the criminals. What you never saw from Ron Johnson is, here's what I believe. Here's what I think we should do. Here's what we should do about inflation, right? There was, there was zero that came out of that side saying what should be done. But quite honestly, there wasn't very much that came out of Mandela Barnes addressing the concerns of conservatives either. He didn't come out and say, hey, let's talk about, um, let's talk about bail reform and why it's important, right? Um, he never addressed any of the attacks, and he never attacked back. I, I, I think my, my take is that there was very little offense and very little defense in the Mandela Barnes advertising campaign. And I don't think that he interacted with conservatives. And I think that would have made the difference. Otherwise, he was just, uh, and, and again, I'm, this is going to sound terrible, but otherwise, 
he was a young black guy whose father worked third shift going up against an old white guy who is worth millions of dollars. That's what people saw. And if that's the extent of what you see and the extent of what you hear, and you never hear why he believes what he believes, what he believes and how it's going to affect, or he never responds to the attacks. And I I think it's the standard political consulting format is we say what we say, we ignore the other side. I think that's a terrible, terrible mistake, and I think it costs him the race, quite frankly. Um, My tagline for Republicans, if you want to use this, uh, an excuse for everything and solutions to nothing. Oh, yeah. The the GOP, and uh, you and I have talked about this, right? The GOP has no ideas. Zero. Their only idea is cut taxes for the wealthy, which we know doesn't work. We have 40 years of proof that it does not help the economy. It hurts the economy. It does not help the small business owners. It does not help people in their homes. It does nothing but make the wealthy wealthier. And that is the extent of their ideas. Right? CRT isn't an issue in schools. People were, you know, that's not going on. The whole, you know, if you're a parent, you should be able to, you know, take care of your kids in school and, and know what's going on. Well, of course you can. And you can. That's already how schools work. Schools aren't you putting... Want to know what, Schools aren't putting litter boxes in classrooms so that kids oh can... Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> that one killed me, right? The, the, the Furbies? And yeah. it just, or the furries, and it just wouldn't go away. Yeah, my, Minis- my, my Republican candidate in Minnesota was saying that multiple times. Uh, before we went to break, we were talking about the budget surplus. I thought maybe, you know what, if you really wanted to, in the GOP controls the legislature. Evers is obviously going to be the governor for another four years, so we're going to have to do now something the GOP doesn't have their governor to get to do what they want with $6 billion, potentially. I thought it would have been a real good gesture for maybe Robin Voss or is it Devin Lemahieu, Le- 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 the, the, the Senate leader, Le-Mahieu. to call an extraordinary session into, into the chamber and discuss, like, bring it to the table. Here we go. The day after the election, we're going to get to work. They've been off since mid-March. Would have been nice to see the state legislature. Extraordinary session. We're going to talk about $6 billion in budget surplus. They don't have to come to a decision that day, but it would have been a good gesture. Oh, you guys are actually going to work right now? Right, right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, we were talking. I said there's, there's two times when tax cuts make sense. Tax cuts make sense when there's a crisis, and we are not in crisis right now. And when there is a significant enough surplus that we have covered the things that we want to or need to do, right? Six billion dollars. If there are things that should be done with roads, and there are things that should be done, you know, the well that we were talking about, the PFAS. Uh, you know, there's a hundred sites in Wisconsin that are, are um, polluted with with the forever chemicals, which are leading to really bizarre um, uh, cancers and stuff like that. Okay, we have the opportunity to remedy those sorts of things, or at least start that process. If we're at the point where we've done what we need to do societally and, and those benefits are there, then absolutely, then that's where tax cuts start to come into, make sense to come into play. Um, and I would have loved to have seen the GOP be willing to do anything, but they literally just aren't. It's really kind of tragic. Okay, so when Evers proposed, I think, a belie- I believe a 10% tax cut for people, I believe, making under $125,000, something like that, okay. that was one yep. of the budget surplus fixes. But what does that mean? Does that mean like next tax season you're going to get a 10% cut and then therefore after that we'll go back to normal? Or is that forever? Or I, Do you understand that? No. Yeah. It, no, it should be forever. And 
Uh, well, until right on, until the budgets change and the tax revenue change. The hard thing about budgeting here in Wisconsin, in any state, right, or or any city or county. Well, Minnesota is, has a Minnesota has a ten billion dollar budget surplus, or they did, you know, months ago when when we when he kind of did the projections. Um, in Wisconsin, where you know it was it was four, and then it was five, and now we're saying six. So that's um, right. So what that tells us is that the economy is doing really damn well. Right, I said business. Uh, you know, business tax revenue. We haven't changed the tax rate, but business tax revenue is up two hundred and twenty percent over four years. You can't tell me Evers hasn't done a good job. Well, during during that, the election, I think the the Republican tagline was we have this giant budget surplus because Evers is taxing people like me more money. Uh, so okay. out of my out of my pocket, right? Like that's Evers' fault. He's give, he's taking, is that where the budget surplus, can you explain where the budget surplus in, in like layman's terms, yeah. where it's, where, how it's grown to $6 billion? Absolutely. The, it's all based off of revenue for this, uh, or for businesses at the state and, and, and income, people's incomes. We haven't changed. Actually, we lowered the tax rate, right? For income, for personal income. Um, we have not changed the tax rates for corporate, we haven't changed most of the tax rates for income. We haven't changed sales tax, right? It's still 5.6% or 55 depending on whatever mm-hmm. county you're in. Um, and that makes up like 95% of the budget, right? There's a little bit for beer taxes and a little bit from public utilities. But uh, about 35% is sales, 45% is income tax, and right now about 15% is corporate income tax. So all of this is based on employment being better, right? Unemployment rates have dropped. We're at two point. We were as low as 2.8%, right? So that means more people are working. Wages have gone up. Well, if you are working more and your wages have gone up, you're going to be taxed more. That's just math, right? But we're not taxing you at a higher rate. Same thing with corporate tax. Corporate uh, income tax in the state of Wisconsin is 7.9% and has been as far back as I could find, right? Mm -hmm. I was back in 2015 numbers and stuff. So that hasn't changed. What has increased is the amount of revenue that's been generated by that 7.9%. That's gone up 200 and some odd percent. Well, that means that corporate profits in Wisconsin have gone up 221% over the last four years. How did that happen? Yeah, we're spending, that? I said, how did that happen? I feel like everything costs more for me, but their profits well, have gone up 200%. It, right? There is, there has been, an, uh, so this leads back to inflation, and it's been the argument that some economists make uh, and, and Democrats make or liberals make is Corporate profits are at record levels. It doesn't matter if we're talking NASDAQ, if we're talking, uh, you know, here in Wisconsin, corporate profits are at record levels. And you can see it on the graphs. Literally, we've gone from, you know, 7% of the state revenue for Wisconsin was corporate income taxes to 15%. That's not because we increased the tax rate. That's because companies are making a boatload more profit. And I'm not just talking revenue, I'm talking profit. They're also making more revenue, which is why sales tax has gone up. Part of that is, that's, what's, that's in large part, quite frankly, what's driving inflation, is prices are up, profits are up, and that's not necessarily a terrible thing. However, it has gone up exponentially. It has gone up significantly. You don't, if we, I can, um, if the, the tax revenue site from Wisconsin, you can go back to the 1960s. You don't have a 50, 60% increase in corporate tax profits in a year. Well, if the, graph, if the graph for corporate, corporate profits went up the same as the graph for wages going up, then then I'd be cool with it. But that graph right. stays. Right, and that doesn't happen. Uh, Bill, <laughs> Bill texted in, congratulations, Rick's. I did, uh, Rick, I did not know that your program was a conservative program. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. 
I'll get I'll get to that in a minute. We got one one caller coming up, but we got to take a quick break. We'll be back. All right, a couple minutes left here. We're just going to wrap up with Adam Murphy, owner of Big Bang LLC, our political blowhard. We like to bring out about once a month. Uh, make that uh, Bill made that joke. Uh, as you said, you you like to talk to conservatives, and then you brought up you were that's why you come on this show. And you you know I'm not a conservative, and I think everybody who listens to this show, but a lot of people tend to just listen because it's the local station, so they want to hear. And and maybe some people like to hate listen. To me, Adam, you know, they just want to they want to hate listen because they, they I have a friend that hate listens to the rest of our radio station the rest of the during the day uh, and they're very liberal. So I was like, why are you listening to that? And she's like, oh, I just like to hate listen. <laughs> so and, that, and it's and it's absolutely true. Uh, when we're talking AM radio, obviously, you know, your demographic. Well, you know, uh, there's going to be a, a, a significant portion that are, are on the more conservative side. And it's important to to engage with them. Um, budget surplus. John texted in. So they saw this increasing. They saw the budget increasing, uh, the budget surplus, and did nothing to bring it to zero. And now they have a surplus. So do, I, I don't know if we wanted wanted to bring the budget surplus to zero. I think there is also a rainy day fund that's go- growing exponentially, too, I think. Um, but yeah, the, the Republicans have Governor Evers proposed something in January to do something with the budget surplus, which was pretty encompassing. And then I think in August he had another proposal that was tapered down quite a bit. But from January to August, the Republicans in the legislature didn't do anything with it. So, yeah, it's it's well. And and let me emphasize this. I, I said it early on when I ran in 2020, we were looking at a two or two point two billion dollar budget shortfall yeah. was being forecast. Right. So some of this is not money in our hands. This is the this is the forecast. And forecasting is always really, really difficult. But when we go from uh, so the the fiscal year uh, was 19.57 billion dollars in revenue last year in 2021, so from ni- basically 19.6 uh, last year to 20 almost 20.6, so almost a billion dollars more in revenue. We we didn't forecast that right because again this is all just based off of sales on profit on income, and nobody expected. The economy to bounce back this hard and this fast—it's fantastic, right? It's also created inflation, uh, which is not good. Um, but that's part of the challenge. And so, if we pull back the reins too hard and we say, "Oh God, we've got six billion, let's give back," okay, well now we have you know the the Fed rate cuts finally catch up, but those are going to take another year to eighteen months to really have an impact. And all of a sudden, two years down the road, now we're looking at a budget shortfall. So that's that's a, that would be. That'd be a bad decision. Um, can we rein things back a little bit? Uh, again, can we take advantage of some of this revenue to take care of things that will make things better in the future? Right? Roads in Wisconsin—the biggest thing that we can probably deal with. Transportation and infrastructure—the biggest thing that we can deal with, because those are all massive expenditures, and they're twenty, thirty, forty years worth of, of benefit. Um, so I think we do that, and then we see as the economy kind of cools here a little bit, which is what should be happening. Um, where that happen, where that that falls, because it shouldn't stay this high. Uh, and, but if it does, then that's where we start to get to to cut taxes. All right, that's Adam Murphy. We'll we'll bring you on again in a month, Adam. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Always appreciate it. Take care, Rick. All right, Spencer Wilkin, UW Lacrosse Outreach Specialist. Tomorrow. Thanks for listening.